After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. It's a very interesting match. Why is no, I don't understand. Why is, what's the secret? How come, how come nobody told us? What's happening guys? Happy Friday! New book out there by Troy Farkas. Have you guys seen this? This is a book written by a minimalist who I would think doesn't believe in technology, but he's one of the most technology savvy guys I know to the point that he used to work for ESPN. And he's going to give you a little advice about being in America and thriving, specifically through your 20s. I want you guys to do me a favor and give that a look. Oh, and by the way, UFC 292 is one day away. I am in Boston as we speak, and I can feel the energy. I can feel the excitement in the air on today's episode. I'm going to give you my official predictions for Sterling versus The Sugar Show, and I'm also going to preview Chris Weidman's long-awaited return and a whole lot more. Lots to get to today, guys, but let's begin here. Cheeto Vera. Why is he here? I mean, why, why is he here? Why is he in Boston? Why is he put on this card? It was for a reason. I'm asking you why. And Cheeto Vera, who has been relatively polite, at some point is either going to say it or hope that someone else says it. Which is, I'm on this card, and I beat the guy in the main event. I fought Sean O'Malley head-to-head, who happens to be ranked number one. He's a beautiful record. It's 14-1. and one. Do you know who the one is? It's me. So why am I here? 
Why was I put on this card? Why was I put on this spot? Now, you're probably going to have a pretty good guess if you follow sport. You're probably going to say because there was an idea that Cheeto Vera, while unannounced, is the backup fighter. Well, that wasn't announced, we're going to put him in here with Pedro Munoz, but if all hell breaks loose in our main event, we got our guy right here and we move him up. And by the way, to Cheeto's point, your story is spot on. And you absolutely qualify to have this fight. But I think I'm right. I think I'm close, at least. If there was a little more thought or a little more gamesmanship by the office, I think I'm close, and I don't think it was on accident that he was put there. Not to mention, and I'm not trying to slide Pedro Mooney, like, that's a really hard fight. Pedro's nobody's fool. That's a stud right there. But I'm sharing with you that I do think that Cheeto Vera was put here to be an unannounced backup fighter for the main event. And the only reason I say that is if Cheeto wins and beats Pedro and he was brought out, he's going to fight for the title over one pound. And if one guy that's supposed to be scratch weight of 135 comes in at 136, Cheeto's up. But if that one pound doesn't happen, Cheeto's not up. It would seem as though we've made it very clear to the audience, that we've made it very clear to the competitors. If he's in a position that he could fill in and fight for the world championship, then with a victory, his position is even stronger which would mean he'd be fighting for a world championship. And I'm not sure that anybody is agreeing with me. I'm not sure anybody is noticing what I just said. Right? Sandhagen and Rob Font, I love that fight. If I'm in the minority, then I'll be in the minority. But I thought Sandhagen showed a whole new wrinkle that now everybody's got to worry about, right? I mean, you sit down, you watch enough footage on a guy, you start to come up with a pretty good game plan. Whether you can go out there as an athlete and exploit or deal with it is very different. But to come up with a plan and then Sandhagen throws this at you, I thought it was great. And I think a lot of people look at him as a number one contender. I think that that's fair and reasonable. I think the fact that Sanhagen never blinked once. He didn't blink when it was Nurmagomedov. He didn't blink when it was Rob Vaughn. He didn't blink when the weight change happened. But it is one of these situations where, by definition of number one contender, there's only one. And we're seeing a, a slight shift in that within our industry. I believe Blahal Mohammed, by example is the number one contender to fight the winner of Colby Leon. Like, at one point that was said. I didn't dream that. At one point that was said. I've never heard where that was taken back. I haven't seen anybody come after Bilal. I haven't seen Bilal in a big hurry to get booked. There could be something going on behind the scenes. I openly admit that I, I wouldn't know. But I bring that point up because when you're put in that position that Bilal clearly earned the hard way. But if you're put in that position... And then Leon and Colby don't fight for a meaningful period of time. All of a sudden, you start to go, hey, I'm not even sure I want to be the number one contender. And the idea that Colby's the number one contender, oh, by the way, but but we got somebody in the fight here, so we have two number contenders. What? We have two number one contenders at the same time? 
I realize you get log jammed and sometimes some things happen, but I've seen more and more of it in our industry. I'm not convinced that 155 pounds, we don't have three number one contenders right now. We've been told Charles is going to fight Islam. We haven't been told that by Charles, but we have been told that Charles is going to fight Islam. I'm told that Volkanovsky will fight the winner if the winner is Islam. And it looks like Gaethje has put himself in a position Take on the winner as well. And nobody's disputed it. Gaethje made the claim. It's been two weeks. Nobody's disputed it. But that would mean you have three number one contenders at the same time. That's just simply never happened in the history of our sport. It would appear that we have two number one contenders at 170 pounds right now. Which has never happened in the history of our sport. And I think that it's very important. I mean, if I'm right about Blahal, if, if that got changed and I missed it, but I, I don't usually, I follow Blahal. Big fan, man. I'm a big believer. But I think it's important that somebody speak up and change that to back up right away. Not that Bahal is going to be fighting the winner, right? Okay, then he's the number one contender. But they avoid saying that. They don't call him the number one contender. They say he's going to be fighting the winner. If he's fighting the winner for the title and that's established, he's a number one contender, which by definition is not possible, which is why they don't say it. But I think it is important that you do establish a label on that, and that's where you would call him the backup fighter. This is Chael's opinion. Every now and then, things happen. You're trying to make a fight. you got to make a deal. you got to make a problem. Hall, Gilbert, short notice, need you guys. Got to put something on it. I, I fully understand these things. But once that house of cards starts to tumble, and, and now we're seeing it in multiple divisions at the same time, I'm not comfortable telling you guys that I don't think what Corey Sandhagen did is enough to fight for a title. I do believe that what Corey did is enough to fight for a title. But if Chino Vera, who got brought out here to be an unannounced backup fighter, has a victory over a stud like Munoz, it would seem very difficult to say he shouldn't be fighting for a title. Oh, and by the way, both things can happen. Sure they can. All right, the whole landscape of that division is predicated on who gets their hand raised between Sterling, who says he's going to leave, and O'Malley. So it's just something to look at, by the way. I'm not complaining. I'm attempting to observe and identify a storyline that I feel you've missed. And as much as Cheeto Vera deserves your respect, so does Pedro Munoz. It's a very meaningful contest. But I do think it needs to be observed so that the outcome can give the guy a little bit of a bounce, which is what promotion is all about. Aljo 145. Guys, I feel like this is the story of the week, and I feel as though it's being missed. I mean, this is really tremendous. Let's think of this from Sugar Sean's perspective, right? And when, you, when we go into this fight, if we're talking about Sean or we're talking about Aljo, that athlete is either going to win or they're not going to win. I mean, do we all understand that? Like, there's not a whole bunch of options. They're going to either win, in which case we can guess where they go, or they're not going to win, in which case we could guess where they go. And however this outcome, it appears that both of them will be fighting for a title next. How do I get there? Well, if you're in Aljo's spot, okay, 
and you get beat. It would seem to me, when the rankings come out at 9 a.m. on Tuesday, you are now the number one contender. You would go from champion down a spot to the number one contender, and you switch with the guy that beat you. Now, could you build enough interest from the masses to get a rematch? Number one guy doesn't always fight for the belt, but let's say we're going to show a respect to the rankings that we keep for the reason of respecting them. It would seem as though Aljo's next fight would be for the title. It would be a rematch. Now, even if he were to then walk away and leave the division, it would look like at 145 that Aljo would be a very good option for two choices, either a title fight with Volkanovski, and if that's unlikely and Volk is doing something else, an interim championship with what I believe would be Ilya Tapori. That's what I think. Does anybody disagree? Does anybody see that any different? That's with a loss. If Sugar Sean is to have a loss, Aljo has told us he's leaving the division and going up to 145, which means you need to fight for the vacant belt. And it would seem as though if Sean, who's ranked number one, loses to the champion ranked in front of him, no matter how that loss goes, that could be a knockdown drag out. That could be a five-second finish. It would seem as though he would maintain his spot. Aljo leaves. Sean's number one contender. Who do we got that's two or three? Somewhere right in there. Maybe look for some parody. little politics play in. You put him out there for the vacated title. Now, that's probably the best case scenario. I get that things don't totally play out like that. But it's a really big deal that Aljo's leaving. And by the way, he's leaving. He's leaving, I'm, and I'm telling you that, and I'm telling you that in a different tone, because if you followed Aljo's career, particularly maybe the last year would be a good example, you've heard him say this going into fights, but he has not changed his mind. There has been things that have happened that have forced him into that weight. When he settled business with Peter Yon, when he corrected that story and proved that he was the champion, great, I'm out of here. That was my plan. Well, now you got Henry coming back. It, it's hard to walk when you didn't deal with the champion who never lost his championship. That's just a reality, and it's only come up a handful of times in our sport. But Aljo's going to have to go and do this. And as a wrestler... I can assure you, Aljo had a tremendous anxiety, for lack of a better word, to go in there with Henry. He was challenging himself. He was testing himself. He needed to prove certain things to himself, and it's not the first time he's done that. And he went, he went and grabbed defending national champion out of Penn State, Roman Bravo Young, and did a match on the side that a number of you probably don't know about. And it went exactly like you would think for a former wrestler versus the current champion. Right? He, did, he didn't care. He knew that going in, what, what it was about. He, he, he knew things that were a problem for his style. And instead of running from those things, he ran to them. And I, I want to make sure that you do understand that about Aljo. Aljo as a competitor has as much integrity as any competitor that we've seen. He does not duck competition. Now, when he gets done with Henry, right, that's the big one. So wrestler against the greatest wrestler 
By the way, it was a little bit in front of you, which means you looked up to him, and now you, you got to deal with that. You got to switch that in your mind. You got to convince yourself of certain things. He's out. He's out the door, right? Well, no, he, he doesn't even get out of the ring, and Sugar Sean's in it, face-to-face -face with a crowd popping for Sean. Sterling's the one that just beat the Olympic champion. Sterling just beat the two-division champion. The crowd's popping for Sean. Oh, by the way, they announced the fight that night. Wait, when are you? How do you leave? But am I right? How, how do you leave? If you have that competitive integrity, and he does, how do you leave? And I would wonder, by the way, I would wonder if psychologically that was all planned out. I don't think that it was. I think it was happenstance, but I'll share for you. You want to get a fight, you want to make a fight happen that you don't think you're going to get, bring the guy in, face him off in front of the world and make the announcement that night, right? There's no time. There's no, you got to make phone calls. You got to get back home and talk with your family. You got to do this whole, this whole process to drop a belt and walk away. Drop a belt and move up. Keep a belt. See if you can get champ, champ opportunity, right? It's a process. You didn't have any time to make that process. He didn't have time to call a guy like me that he could trust and go, hey, here, here's the news, get it out for him. He didn't have any time to do any of that. They brought the guy in the ring. He didn't even get to leave the ring. He didn't even get to put a shirt on. All right, he's got to go do this. Now, he, he said something, though, today, and I just want you to hear it. He said, I'm leaving. If I win, if I win, I am leaving. But he went further, and this was the line. This is where it's, okay, he's not, this is, this is happening. He said, it's Marab's time. And that speaks to a deal. That speaks to two friends who had give and take for each other that have a bond. And one of them said, let me handle this and I'll go and it'll be yours. And this is very close to Daniel Cormier and Cain Velasquez, by the way, very, very close. Well, why would I say close? It's, this is the exact same thing that happened with Daniel Cormier and Cain Velasquez, right? So, I like it, by the way. I think it's fun. The question that I have, right? If I got Dana in front of me, the question that I have, and he wouldn't answer today, by the way. You know Dana won't answer things until they happen. He won't deal with the problem until it's actually here because things change so fast. But I would just love to know. If Aljo does get a win and he moves up to 145, right? Like as great as Aljo's done and as bright as that star is, not just now, but over the history of the 135-pound division. I mean, you had some greats in there, man. You got Garbrandt, you got Dillashaw. That's the division of Cruz himself. I know people say who, who, who the great it is, but come on. Take your eye off Dominic Cruz, you're just being a jerk. You just, you just didn't fall sport. And I'll share with you, with a win, and particularly the guys that he beat, you could make an easy argument that he's the greatest ever, and I only share that with you within the division. If he moves up to 145 pounds, I mean, does he have to even be the greatest ever? If he's just a champion for one night and he moves up to 145 pounds? Doesn't he fight for the title? I mean, isn't that very realistic? Could, could we really see him in a number one contenders match? Because you also have card placement issues, right? He has proven he is a main event pay-per-view. He was main event pay-per-view last time. They rebooked him that night. They're using him as a main event pay-per-view. He, so he's, if with a win, he's going to return to a main event of pay-per-view. 
do you think it's realistic that he has a number one contenders match there? Like, could you could you picture Max and Sterling fighting in a, a number one contenders match, just by example? Or would it be more realistic that Sterling comes up, Ilya Tapori gets in his wheelhouse, and off we go? And I will be curious how Sterling plays this. He has said he's coming to 145. What he has never said is champ champ. He's made it pretty clear he's going to leave that bell. Very clear. He's made it very clear. When he goes, he's burning his ships. But he's never said the name Volkanovsky. And I can't say he hasn't said it because from a competitive standpoint, he doesn't want to do it. It appears that Volkanovsky is now an unannounced 55-pounder. Like, I, I wouldn't blame Sterling for not saying his name. But it would change things if he did. It would put a ball back in Volkanovsky's court. I don't believe that Volkanovsky's walking out of 145 for any reason other than he's looking for not only competition, but new competition. Right? It's very hard to be in the spot of, say, Volkanovsky's teammate Israel Adesanya, where you start doing the same thing over and over again. You're looking for some parity. I just suggest for you, I think, I think if Aljo goes to 45, he goes right into a title shot. Is that for an interim? Is that for a belt that Volk leaves behind? Or is that for Volk himself? A bantamweight battle for the belt is going down during UFC 292. Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley are going to fight for the title this Saturday. Will the current champ keep his crown? Or is it the challenger's time to shine? Get your bets in on DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers, you can bet just $5. You will get $150 in bonus bets and you're going to get them instantly. Now, I got to tell you, I'm really looking at Ian Gary. He's a 4-1 to favorite over a last-minute replacement in Neil Magny. That chalk doesn't line up, at least not in my opinion. Neil Magny is a former top contender who won seven in a row. I think this is one you gotta take a look at. Here's what you do. You download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and you do it right now using the promo code CHAIL. New customers, again, you bet just $5. UFC 292, you're going to get $150 in bonus bets and you're going to get them instantly. That's this Saturday and that's only a DraftKings Sportsbook with the code CHAIL. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to number 467-369 in West Virginia. Visit www.1800gambler.net in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races, all games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling at 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 and over in most eligible states, but age does vary by jurisdiction. Please see DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash MMA terms.
Guys, the number one question I get asked all the time, what's the most important habit you can build on to be successful? You know what my answer is? Sleep. I am no sleep expert, but I can tell you that for myself, I perform at my optimum level mentally and physically when I'm getting regular deep sleep, and honestly, that hasn't always been easy. This is where Momentous Sleep Pack comes in. Momentous experts created a natural ingredient combination that will help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up refreshed. The ingredients are so clean that they're used by the best Olympians, pro athletes, and college team. Momentous Sleep Pack has every certification under the sun, including being NSF certified. I usually take a pack 30 minutes before bed and boom, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. If you're having trouble sleeping and it's affecting your daily performance, I highly recommend Momentous Sleep Pack. Designed by the world's best experts, used by the world's best teams and athletes, and made for all of us, guys. Go to livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 20% off your first order. That's livemomentous.com. And use the promo code CHAIL. Saturday. And by the way, you guys might not have known that. This is Chris Weidman's first time since 2012 not being a feature match. Now, I like that. There has been such immense pressure put on Chris Weidman from before he ever started fighting. Like his teammates in the practice room started spreading these rumors and people are hearing about Chris Weidman out in New York and this All-American wrestler. Like, the word was getting around. And he had a lot put on him, and it was pretty fast in his career. People were talking about him versus Anderson. He gets thrown into a main event on a Wednesday night with Mark Munoz. I mean, just like, there was a lot put on him. Once he beats Anderson, he's asked to go out and prove it again. Draws right into world champions like Vitor, right into world champions like Machida. I mean, there was no favors done for Chris Weidman. So... But this fight's different, right? So he's taking on Brad Tavares, who's a stud. Brad Tavares is the definition of heart, right? Just a tough guy. And Tavares likely has a real motivation right now. Just just, just being a Hawaiian, he likely has a real motivation with some of the devastation that's going on in his state. That's a guess by me. But I think it's a pretty good guess. And then you've got Weidman. And this isn't about a contendership. This isn't about a world championship. And I don't know for sure that Weidman plans to do five more fights. Like to lay out a realistic roadmap to the title, you'd probably need five fights, right? You're on the undercard right there. You got you to start to work your way back up onto the main card. It's something that he's already done. And it took him about five fights. Okay, great. But I'm not sure that we're doing that here. I'm not sure that this is a goldfish trying to eat a shark and it's going to take a whole bunch of time and a whole bunch of bites. I feel as though it's one minute at a time. It's one round at a time. It's scheduled for three rounds, which is a small ask of Weidman or what's majority of his career was like, I'm just bringing this to you because there is an injury. He's coming back from an injury. This is something very personal. He is on his own journey right now. 
This is not about rankings and headlines and selling tickets and I'm an East Coast star and the cards on the East Coast. It's not about any of those things. They're not using the local guy to bring it there. That's not what this is. This is a champion who was, had a career-ending injury and is too much courage and heart and toughness to let it end his career. That's what this is. And there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of, I can only imagine, right? I've never been through that. I could only imagine if I went through one of those breaks, I believe now you got pins and rods or something to this effect. I could only imagine what I would do. And I think that I would stash it. I think I would stash that leg. I would hide it. I'd put it behind. I'd, I'd get to a clinch real fast and just take all kicks out. I mean, offensively for myself, but also defensively so he can't kick at me. I think I would stash it. I would hide the leg in some fashion. It would be of paramount importance to me, I think. And Weidman came out and said he's going to go out and use it. He's going to throw the hardest kick of his life right off the bat. It's the first thing that he's going to do. Oh, and by the way, that wasn't like some kind of weird strategy to get in Brad's head. He means it. It doesn't mean that he's going to go out and do it, by the way. I mean, you have all sorts of, I'm going to go out and win. I'm going to put him away in the first round. Like, you have all sorts of ideas. It doesn't, they don't all come through, but it's the mindset of Chris Weidman. So, you got a former champion. He's 39 years old. Taking on a young stud. Return fight after an injury. I mean, this is a situation you've never seen him in. DraftKings has him at a two-to-one dog. That's close. Two to one means we're not sure, just so you understand. And of every situation we've seen Weidman put in, which is countlessly difficult situations. I mean, he was a guy when Usada stepped in. We, we had certain champions when Usada came in that never won another fight. Champions of the world, they never won another fight and got released when Usada came in. You had the incredible shrinking man throughout the UFC, right? You, I mean, you got 55 pounders become 45 pounders, and 35 pounders that are now 25 pounders. Like it was, it was one of these situations, and Weidman had to deal with it within opponents. That's a massive stress. It is an advantage. It is a performance enhancer. And to deal with these things, like he's found himself in colossally hard spots. He's a young boy taking on the ultimate veteran in Anderson Silva. I mean, right, like he's found himself in some really colossally difficult spots. He's going into the fourth round against Luke Rockhold, and he's used most of his energy in the third. Like that, it's just there's really hard positions that he's found himself in throughout his life, but he's never been in this one. And I felt as though DraftKings almost gave him a credit for the heart and the toughness. And that's largely what these fights come down to. I know it looks on TV or you listen to the announcers. I know it looks like a strategy. He dipped outside. This guy's a southpaw. He went to the body. Then he came upstairs. I understand that. But that's because there's really no way to articulate the intangibles that actually make the difference in a competitive athletic contest which is the heart and the grit and the toughness, which is being displayed by a 39-year-old former world champion who's willing to go on an undercard, didn't care who the opponent was, and says he's going to come out and use the broken leg right off the bat. I think DraftKings acknowledged it and said, we don't know what to do with this guy. 
DraftKings had him two and a half to one underdog against Anderson Silva the night he captured the world championship. By the way, it was dominant. Seven and a half minute fight, it was dominant. The ending, the ending two seconds looked a little on camera. Oh, maybe he put his hands down talking about Anderson. They forgot the other, uh, the, he won the entire, it was completely done. They rematched the fight. Guess who the underdog is? Weidman. Guess how much at DraftKings? Two and a half to one. It was a repeat. It was the same two guys doing the exact same thing that they'd already done, and he had completely dominated. They still had him as a two-and-a-half-to-one dog, and I just believe that they found out what heart and what grit and what toughness is about. And I think in a normal circumstance, you would look at a guy and you would say, he's been hurt, he's damaged. Generally speaking, you would use that against him. DraftKings is saying we don't see it that way. We see a guy who's a proven commodity who says he can use that leg to the extent that he can use it as the very first tool. And I think that they listened. Weidman and Tavares, I mean, regardless of who you have and regardless who comes out on top, I just, I just want to set the stage for you. that This is not and they are not fighting, at least from Chris's standpoint, can't say that for Brad. But for the reasons that he's fought before, this is personal and this is about something else. And I believe DraftKings 2 to 1 helps to represent that. Ian Machado Gary came out. I said, I'm the superstar of the card. He's talking about the schmo. So I'm a superstar of the card. I'm the one they're coming for. He laid it out. He said, I'm bringing the Irish fans out. I'm bringing the Brazilian fans. He even said he did a couple of weeks just recently in Brazil training. And he said that for all of America, the number one population per capita of Brazilians is in Boston. I didn't know that. I'm not confirming. I'm sharing the interview with you. And is he right? Doesn't matter, by the way. I mean, is he right? It's only something we're going to guess. We will know on Saturday. Believe me. We will know on Friday. When they do the ceremonial weigh-ins and there's a reaction from the crowd, he either gets what's called the pop, right? The loudest pop. Ah, the pop of the crowd. He gets the loudest one or he doesn't. Whoever gets the loudest one is the star of the card. He's right about that. But you got Sterling... You got O'Malley, right? No, O'Malley's not just my guess for the biggest star of the card. He's a top five in the entire company. So if Gary's right, that would be incredible. And he could be right. right? I mean, you get you get reactions and you get guys that are over in ways that you didn't know until you know. Like, I, I knew that you guys loved Dustin Poirier. I was well aware of that for many years. But they threw to him. He was just in one of his cool shirts, right? Got his hair. He was just at a show. He was just taking a show in the audience. They put the camera on him. Oh, my God. I had no idea he was that level of superstar. I just didn't know that. Derek Lewis does a fight, drops his, his pants, and it's so funny that Joe Rogan, a trained comedian, lost his place. Joe's trying to interview him is, is losing the words. I don't think that there's a commentator and athlete, by the way, in all of sport, not just this one. I don't think anywhere in sport 
that could have a moment like Derek Lewis and Joe Rogan did? I'd love to hear it. You, you got a guy that interviews Tom Brady and it's, oh, this is the one I got to see. I, I don't think so. And my only point to you is, is Gary's making a very big claim. And good for him, right? There, there's another game that's being played. There's 736 athletes under contract with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Of that 736, 731 believe the only game and the only rules here is the unified. That's what they believe. You have five guys that keep the doors open for that whole operation because they know there's another game. It's not just me and my division. It's not just me and my opponent. It's everybody here and me for the reaction of you, good or bad. Whoever's loudest wins. I love that Gary's trying to play it. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's in that spot, but I don't care. I do believe he's one of the bigger names. I do know this is a really hard match. I know that people believe in him. He is a four-to-one favorite over Magni. I got to tell you, I, I do not agree with that chalk, by the way. I mean, I just, I personally don't. There is a lot of ways that Neil Magni can win this fight. Truly. But that is largely a popular opinion. Every time I tell you a story, I tell you, well, this is what DraftKings says, and that's accurate. That's who my source is. Those guys are my partners. That's the only book I look at. But they set the opening line. They don't touch the line after that. You guys control it. Only thing DraftKings does is set the opening line. Your money, where it comes in, is then what moves it. And you guys, like Gary Oh, and by the way, you didn't have a whole lot of time. I mean, it was supposed to be Gary versus Neil, which, by the way, I knew wasn't going to happen. I wish I was. I knew that fight wasn't going to happen. You didn't have a whole lot of time. You transitioned right from that right into Magnum. It's a very big compliment. He's right. He's popular. To be four to one, he's popular. Can he get a larger reaction from the crowd than a veteran like Pedro Munoz, than a veteran like Cheeto Vera, who's, by the way, I mean, Cheeto Vera is a campfire that had gasoline sprayed on it. He's got, he's going to get a pop. And it's a weird thing to debate. I, I don't admit that. I've never brought you a conversation like this before. Never. But Gary brought it up. He made a claim. He didn't say I'm going to go beat Magni. He didn't say I'm going to beat Magni. I'm going to move into the top 10. I'm working my way to a title shot. I got my eyes on Kobe and Leon right now. He didn't say anything like that. He attacked this from a competitive standpoint that only a handful of guys even know exists. It's a game that they don't even play. I, mean, I only tell that if you want to be a superstar, if that's your thing, I want to be a superstar, I want to sell a bunch of t-shirts, and I want people to like me, you're going to have a pretty easy time doing it because nobody else even knows that's what we're doing. They don't even understand that this is what we're doing. When you go to a press conference, are you getting more questions than the guy next to you? When you give an answer to the question that you were asked, did you get a reaction or was it crickets? Like, they don't even know this is a guy. I just want to get out of here and go get my workout in. Good for you. There is 731 other people here just like you. There are five guys that keep the lights on. And now we know that isn't you, right? I mean, it's a game. You either know it and you jump in or you don't.
Like, were you ever elected the, the captain of the baseball team, but you didn't go out for baseball? Have you ever even heard of that happening? Got this kid in math class, you find a guy, you're elected captain, you don't play baseball, do you? Because no, I don't even play, I can't believe they elected me. It doesn't work that way. Nobody gets a job that they didn't interview for. Nobody gets a job that they didn't turn a resident. Nobody gets a job that they say, I don't want. And there's only a few guys. Adesanya's coming from McGregor right now. And McGregor is defending himself. He is fighting off Adesanya. Colby's coming for both of them right now. Sean O'Malley threw his hat in the ring four years ago. And now it appears we have a new player. Welcome. Ian Gary, I look forward to seeing how you do. Alright, my official prediction for Ian Gary versus Neil Magny. Now, if you follow me over here, I've been telling you all week, I don't agree with the chalk on this fight. It's four to one Gary. Gary's a stud. Neil Magny's a stud. Gary's ranked number 15 in the world. Neil, Neil Magny used to be ranked in the top 15 in the world. I, I feel like it's a wash, and I understand you got this up and coming. That's just what the sport is, right? Neil did that to a whole bunch of guys, and now people are betting that Gary's going to do it to him. I know I've been bitching about it all week, but my final analysis is that I think that Gary's going to win. So what's the difference, right? I mean, if you got a risk and it's 4-1, to one, but you, you're going to win, I, I understand that to a degree. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about this fight, okay? There's a lot of questions around Gary. And when we talk about, we have questions about a guy. How's he going to do in championship rounds? How's he going to do with adversity? How's he going to do with a grappler? How's he going to do when his nose gets busted and it hurts and there's 15 minutes left? Like, there's all, there's all sorts of questions, right? Until we have enough data, until we see enough things. And I feel like most of those boxes are checked for Magni. And I overheard... I was part of a conversation. Two other guys were talking. I didn't weigh in on it. I overheard a conversation yesterday about Magni that he's lost two of his last three. Excuse me. Excuse me. He lost to Gilbert Burns when he got caught in a submission. And everybody else that's ever been put in a submission by Gilbert Burns in the first round also tapped. He's the highest ranking Abu Dhabi medalist in the organization. Okay. And then he fought Rachmanov. And by the way, survived longer than most. I throw those, I don't count them. I mean, I don't know how you would in a discussion like this. He's taken on a number 15, and you're going to tell me that because he lost to a 16-0 undefeated guy that nobody else will even fight, and because he got tapped while drying a first round against the bronze medal, I, 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 you're losing me. You're losing me on that. So if I can get you there, I mean, if you're just going purely on, what have you done for me lately? I get that. But if you dismiss those two things, you go to SureDog right now, you bring up the record, and you dismiss those, and you take a look at this fight, just on that, just on record, just on what could be done. Because when I tell you that we got questions on Gary, we got questions on all the new guys, right? All the new guys that we haven't seen a lot of footage of. The one thing that I'm not positive you understand at home, they don't know the answers to those questions either. What would happen if he shut your eye with his first punch? You have 15 minutes to go, and now you got an eye closed. 
what would happen? I'm pushed through it. I'll fight him blind if I have to. Well, w would you really? Have you ever been in that spot? Did you ever have the foresight to go through practice and do a round where you closed an eye just in case that happened? And that's before we even get to the pain. Like, have you ever actually done that? It doesn't take a lot. You just close an eye. Have you ever done that? Can you fight with an eye shot? I mean, I'm just asking you these types of questions because they don't know either. Hanging into a championship round. I never get tired. I got cardio for days. Shut up. No, you don't. No, you don't. Not Nobody's getting tired at that level. You ain't going to get Neil Magny tired. Not that you're going championship rounds. I'm just sharing for it. There's still questions. And I just think there's a lot of things you got to look at with Gary. Gary has reach and Gary has length. And in every fight he's ever competed in, at least within the octagon that I've got to see, he used that reach and length. He does not have that advantage over Magni. It's extremely relevant. Perhaps. Do you guys remember Zab Judah? And Mayweather didn't want to fight Zab. Now, he did. But Mayweather didn't want to fight Zab. And the reason that we're told that Zab had some losses and May even beat up the guys that beat up Zab. Right, got any kind of a meaningful bracket, it's Mayweather. But there's a lot of people within the boxing industry that really wanted to see that fight. And they want to see it more the more Mayweather avoided it. And Mayweather avoided it allegedly because of the Southpaw. He just had a problem with that. And that's a thing for a lot of guys. I've heard a lot of guys say that. Well, I'm fighting a Southpaw. I need to train with Southpaws. I've, I've heard that. I've fought 51 men. I don't have any idea if I've ever fought in a Southpaw. I don't know. How would I know? I guess I'd look at his feet. Whatever, whatever leg is leading... If he leads with a certain leg, he's a southpaw. That's supposed to be confusing. <laughs> he leads this leg instead of this. He's only got two legs. One of them has to be in front. So if a certain one is in front, I'm supposed to not know how to fight him. I, mean, I truly don't know if I've ever fought in a southpaw. I would assume that I had out of 51. I've never asked. I've never looked into it. Wouldn't it make a goddamn bit of difference. I have no idea anything about that. But other guys do. Other guys do. Hey, that matters. And... I'm just sharing for you. How are you going to do when the biggest advantage you had or what appeared to be a big advantage, that reach, all of a sudden you no longer had? Oh, and by the way, two weeks ago when you had Jeff Neal, you had it. Two weeks ago when this opponent changed, you find out my big advantage is no longer an advantage. It's a wash. I don't know if it's a big... I, I don't know, guys. <laughs> I don't know. But what I'm telling you is you don't either... And what might surprise you is Gary doesn't know. He doesn't know. Neil Magna get his hands on you. When Neil Magna gets his hands on you, it's a problem for everybody. I th I'm interested in the match. I'm taking Gary. I admit it, I'm taking Gary. But I like the fight. And four to one, that represents dominance. You want a real prediction here? I do not believe that we have dominance. There you go. champion is going to fight Amanda Lemos for the world championship in the co-main event at UFC 292, which is this Saturday. Now, you got to tell me something. You got to tell me something. I tell you things every day. I don't ask you for much. Tell me something. How come nobody knows? Why is this a secret? Why is this a secret that these two are fighting? Why did nobody interview either one? 
Why did the dirt sheets in a slow news week, which was last week, not tell anybody? Why didn't they post that? Why is there not a photo? What's the secret? What's the secret about this? How come? How come nobody knows they're fighting? And I'm purely curious. Like, that is a really fascinating thing that... And we've established what a slow news week it was, right? There was, I think it was over at MMA Junkie. If I'm wrong, it was MMA Fight. I think it was Junkie. It was our friends at Junkie. That did a piece on Yuri Prohaska... And within minutes, it was the fourth piece down. And that was a bit of a surprise because the biggest news that has come out easily was Logan Paul versus Dylan Danis. And that was on the eve of Jake Paul and Nate Diaz, which even after the fight captured a lot of headlines. Conor McGregor showed up to a boxing event, got in the ring and grabbed the microphone at a time. I mean, the building was empty. It was very odd to see Conor cutting a promo in front of an empty building. But, you know, cat boxing kind of does that sometimes. They just fill up for the main event. And people knew not a word coming out of his mouth was news and or accurate. But they wrote the articles like it was. They pretended. They pretended that Connor is going to go box KSI in bare knuckle, and we better get some odds up for that, because that's another talking point. And they pretended that Connor's going to have Chandler in December and Gaethje right after that, and then we're going to go into to Nate Diaz. They pretended to, because there was nothing else to talk about. And they had to pretend that they thought this was news. They knew that he'd been drinking and they knew that it was entertainment. He came in and said something. I mean, he had a catchphrase in his pocket. That's how much Connor telegraphed to the audience. I'm just here to entertain you. And I'm trying to think of what it was. I, I, I could, he, he, he couldn't box an egg if he worked at a egg boxing factory. I think that's what it was. And... But they used it, and, and they pretended it because things were slow. And if you ever got called on it or you found out that news wasn't accurate, you could say, yeah, well, but I had a source, and my source was Connor himself. I quoted Connor. I mean, so what are these things? It's a game. It's a game you play in the media when there's nothing to talk about. Why did they talk about Wei Lee? Why did they tell us that she's fighting Amanda? Why are they not telling anybody? What? I don't understand. What's the big secret? It would seem as though, you know, and Wei Li is a very terrifying opponent. Like, she really can keep to herself. I mean, that physically. She can compact her, but she can put that chin down, man. She can put those hands up. She can really keep to herself, and she's going to stick around. She's got massive heart. And then you, you go look at Amanda. And Amanda, more than heart, is about physical talent. She is an athlete. Oh, by the way, she has some devastating technique. She has devastating combination strikes. She has a devastating power. She has a grip. She will finish you in a submission and not look back. It's a very interesting match. Why is no, I don't understand. Why is, what's the secret? How come, how come nobody told us?
Sterling O'Malley, who you got? Now, this isn't a prediction piece, okay? We're, we're, we're going to get into that. And that opinion for me is still forming. I mean, I'm not positive. Like, here, I'll, I'll quote Randy Couture. The hay is in the barn. When you got to fight week, some guys would be pushing. They'd be tired and not want to go do workouts. And coach would want to work out. And, and, and Randy was a super disciplined athlete, man. Coach sets practice. You hear there's practice. You go to practice. That's it. Except on fight week. On fight week, Randy was real big. Hey, what, what do you feel? You know, what's your body feeling like? You can get better by taking a nap on fight week if that's what you feel that your body needs. I mean, I just use that as an example. The hay is in the barn. We use that at Team Quest because Randy said it. We used everything that he said. But I will share with you, it is slightly different coming from a heavyweight in Randy who didn't have to worry about that scale. This week is an important week. I'm not convinced the hay is in the barn. And you want to know who else isn't convinced? DraftKings. Because guess what? They're even. If you ever hear John Anik talk gambling, or you ever hear Ian Parker talk gambling, they're exact. If you want to be exact, Sugar Sean is the favorite, but he's he's a favorite by like 10 bucks. I mean, it's, it's even money. It's minus 120 to plus 110, just to be exact with you, okay? But that's even that's as even as you're gonna get. You could look at Ian Gary taking on Neil Magny, it's four to one. I mean, DraftKings isn't afraid to spread the butter around. And they're just not sure on this match. And frankly, I'm not either. I'm not either. Both of these guys are very good, right? We all we can all agree on that. Doesn't matter where you sit, you're a Sterling fan, you're an O'Malley fan, you're a reasonable person to say they're both very good. And moreover, people that are, have accounts that are willing to part with their hard-earned money at DraftKings, right down the middle. Now, what I would share for you, it would seem as though championship rounds would have to favor Sterling, just through the experience. And Sterling is tactical, and Sterling is not afraid to make adjustments. I mean, he made a big adjustment. If you go look at the rematch with Peter Yan, where Sterling threw away two rounds, he was so sure strategically that he won three, that now he just needs to beat the clock. I mean, that's a risky game. And guess what? Guess who must agree with me? Sterling, because he gave away no rounds against Cejudo. And when he gave those two rounds away against Yan, which was very clear, he very clearly was no longer trying to beat Yan, he was trying to beat the clock. When he gave those away, and it went to a split decision, and he realized, hey, this is risky math. This is a risky strategy. A byproduct of that is many people that witnessed it thought you had a tired Sterling. And that was not true. I could see it very clear. I knew what he was thinking. I knew what he was thinking. From one wrestler to another, not fighter to fighter, from one wrestler to another, I knew when he was controlling mat space and he was eating up time. I share that with you because that got tested against Henry, who's going to put one of the best paces on you. He's one of the great competitors out there. Not only one of the great fighters, Henry Sudo, he's one of the great competitors. He's never going to stop trying to beat you. And Sterling held up. There's not a question he can go 25 minutes. There is, of course, there's a question for Sean. I'm seeing Sean get tired. I'm not suggesting that, or he doesn't train, right? I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying if you have to give a, a nod in a category, one guy showed it and one guy hasn't been in that situation, right? It's one of those spots. Same thing goes with the end of the night. Same thing goes w- with main events. There, there's a lot of stuff here, and you will have to wonder, is Sean O'Malley ready to be champion? 
And that question is not an insult. In fact, that question directly implies that someday he will be. I'm just asking if it's now. Like, I'll use my son because he's sitting in the corner. He's eight years old, getting ready. A couple of weeks to go into the second grade. He can't drive. He's not ready to drive. He can't reach the pedals. That doesn't imply that he's not going to be a great driver when it's time. Right? I mean, do you, do you see what I'm saying? People get scared of success. It's very hard to articulate. And the way Sean O'Malley has come up and the tests that have been put in front of him, including being ranked number 10, taking on number one, a former world champion, Peter Jan's as good of a fighter as you're going to come across. Like, if you have a goal to go be a fighter and there's some magic wand, and they go, well, I could just make you as good as Peter Jan is right now. Take that deal because you're likely to never get there. He's as good of a fighter as you're going to come across. Sean was ranked number 10. Many people thought that fight shouldn't happen. Dana stepped in, defended him, said you got to step up sometime, and it's now. And Sean dealt with it just fine. The reason I point that out is when I ask these questions, that they aren't to then plant a negative seed. Sean's the guy. DraftKings agrees that he's the guy. The fact that it's even money tells you that, but I'm still interested in this specific week. I will never forget about the greatest fighter of all time, George St. Pierre, who dominated Matt Hughes in a world title fight and with one second left in a round just gave Matt the match, gave it to him, and then said after the match, I got in there and it was Matt Hughes and I just didn't think I belonged. Now I know that I do. George never never had a close match again. I just share with you, like, there's some things that happen and there's some experiences that you have to have. As much as I bring that up, I do believe there's probably, probably, an immunity to Sean O'Malley. There appears to be something special there. There appears to be not very many things that rattled him. I mean, the only time I seen Sean O'Malley pissed off in his whole life is when Murad took his coat, which was one of the <laughs> great moments I've ever seen in the Octagon. I love it. I love that Sean got the coat back. There was 10 of them. They didn't have to give the coat back, and they gave him his coat back. You think they don't respect O'Malley? They gave him his coat back. I'm, I'm just sharing with you, like, these are big moments. How are you going to handle them? Nobody fully knows. Nobody, including the principals themselves. They're in their hotel room right now. They're thinking about it. It's all starting to sink in this week. It's all starting to come. It's all starting to dawn on them what the task is. How many eyes are on them? It's a big deal. When I bring up DraftKings odds and I tell you that it's even money, it's a very big deal because there's a massive pressure that is released. DraftKings is involved in fights. It's a massive pressure relieved from you when you're the underdog. It's a big deal to Sterling, by the way, that he puts himself in a position of being a victim, of being an underdog, of being overlooked, of having the deck stacked against him. It's a big deal to him. He will work hard to put himself in a hungry mindset of a guy that's going to prove himself. It's a hard thing to do when you're the favorite, even if it's this slight. And that's where these odds that draft, that's where this matters. It's the whole reason that I bring this up. Is Sean O'Malley ready to be the world champion?
All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I also hope you enjoy UFC 292 tomorrow night. I'm very excited to see what's going to go down. I'm going to be on ESPN talking about it all. And then I'm going to be back here with you guys on Tuesday to talk about it even more. Until then, everybody, enjoy your weekend. I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.